Falsha, 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 Akartigil, and welcome to episode 85 of the Rebel Matters podcast. This week's guest on the show is Stevie G, who many from Cork will know as a DJ on Cork's Red FM, presenting the Red Drive, the hit list, and a specialist show, Black on Red, that's been on the go since the early 2000s. In an article in the Irish Times, Stevie was described as one of the most active elders in the Cork music community since he established himself, and he's worked with loads of household names, such as Run DMC, Grandmaster Flesh, Gil Scott Heron, and just to name like a few of them. But in the same article in the Irish Times, it said in bold, he's always opening doors for new talent and encouraging new artists in their careers, and that's really come across in this chat that we had. Stevie helped us out big time with the Gym Jam in 2019 when we were raising money to open the Ackley Palestine Gym in the Ada Refugee Camp and he also helped us with the very first Gym Jam in 2018 when we were raising money for the Irish wheelchair rugby team who had qualified for the World Championships that year. We chatted about how Stevie got involved in music in the first place, the history of the Cork hip-hop and sort of dance music scene and his work with the Cork Migrant Centre and I think that in light of many of the kind of public very racist things that have taken place in 2020 it makes this conversation even more important and timely so I was really glad to get the opportunity to speak to Stevie about that because he's actively trying to help people who have come to this country as asylum seekers or who are um, involved in the Cork Migrant Centre or in direct prison centres to find their voice in a very similar way that Stevie has helped many young up-and-coming artists get a foothold in the in the music scene here in Cork and not just in Cork but further afield as well. He gives a good shout-out to a few up-and-coming artists and people who have been on to him and people that he's taken notice of and a special mention to a young man called Abdul who is in the Gaza Strip who has got a really good connection going with Stevie and Stevie talked about that and the importance of that project and the stuff that they're doing. We also had a wee chat about what the future of live music could possibly look like in the next year or two after we move forward from this kind of current state of lockdown and pandemic that we find ourselves in. Overall, I think we covered a lot of ground in the time that we had. A special shout out to all of the new patrons who have come on board in the last few weeks. Lads, we'll have 59 patrons as I'm recording this introduction for the episode here and the support that we're getting, it means so much and it really is keeping the show on the road. The support that we're getting from the patrons of the, of the podcast is covering the cost of the software that we use to produce the shows and... It's covering the cost of some of the equipment that we're after splashing out on to make the shows as high quality as we can. It has also allowed us to have Vicky on as a producer, which is an an enormous step up for the whole functioning of kind of producing the show and the behind the scenes stuff that goes on with the Rebel Matters podcast. So, Gura Ked Ked Milamayag of Akarjigil. We're on 59 patrons at the minute. Our goal is to get the 100 patrons by the 100th episode. And I was just thinking the other day that it, it might be a good time to start fielding ideas about what you what you would like us to do for the when we reach that target. We've kind of started looking at the Patreon support as the troublemaking fund. 
and we're actively looking to come up with ideas of how we can expand the reach of the podcast, get more quality content, get the kind of content that you guys want to be listening to and overall get ourselves into as much mischief as possible. So if you have any suggestions, send them in via Instagram or if you're on Patreon already, then you can send us a message through Patreon. And you can also go to the Rebel Matters website, rebelmatters.ie and uh, get in contact with us, with us through that where you'll find also all of the other episodes, some blog posts and a link to our social media feeds. And if you do want to support the podcast on Patreon, then patreon.com forward slash Rebel Matters. Right, two more shout outs before we get stuck into this episode. I just want to say a massive thank you to Chris and Mairead in the Birch Cafe in Castlewellan who sent down some unbelievable coffee beans from White Star here at Belfast based roastery. So go and check Birch and White Star out on Instagram. And thanks for the wee note that went along with the beans. And also... Today, as I'm recording this, which is the 24th of November, it's Tuesday, but obviously this episode is coming out officially on Friday. But today is Ian Lynch's 40th birthday. Ian, who many might know from being in Lincoln, and who also has a class podcast called Fire, Fire Drawing Year. I've been completely absorbed by this podcast in the last while and the only pity is that it only comes out once a month but it really is something to look forward to I've listened to all of them and signed up as a patron to Fire Drawing Year I would seriously if you're interested in folklore songs um, folk songs and tunes and storytelling and general merriment and hedonism go and listen to Fire Drawing Year but Aside from that, happy birthday to Ian. We had actually planned to do an episode of Rebel Matters together, but just between the jigs and the reels, everything went to absolute shit the week that we were planning on doing it, so we had to put it on the long finger, but hopefully we can make it happen in the very near future. Anyway, that's enough for me, Accordia Gale. Let's get on with episode 85 and the chat with Stevie G. Us. time you were in this building we were having the gym jam and it looked drastically different than it does now yeah and um, so I suppose I kind of have a lot of things on my list that I'd like to ask you about and we'll try and maybe fit it as much of them as we can in the first one literally before I came here I was up in Alchemy getting a cup of coffee and I was talking to Owen up there and I told him that we were meeting up to have this chat and the first thing that he mentioned was he was like ask him about Sir Henry's okay yeah 
so it's actually within range of this building and within range of alchemy because yeah everyone's got a i got a bit of a kind of um a kind of how do you say it uh i got tired of sir henry's thing at one stage because of the nostalgia because in cork when it, it effectively we we ended up finishing there in 2001 but the building was more or less knocked in 2003 uh but there was a certain amount of people in cork of a certain age probably in their their late teens 20s at the time uh or early 30s and they they couldn't move on from it right now it it, after a while, I'm comfortable with it now because it's long enough to know that, like, I wouldn't eat, like my kids won't even know what it is or whatever. Or people's like it's almost probably their grandparents were there. So it's so far along ago now that I, I don't mind talking about it. But at one stage, I thought there was a certain generation in Cork at around 2003, 2004, they couldn't let go of it. So anything new, because the main the main DJs were always Greg and Shane in the front room doing the house as Fish Goodeep or whatever. Before they were even Fish Goodeep, they were doing Sweat. I was doing the back room and then there was another room which did harder techno and stuff. And sometimes there was even more rooms. But for me, it was incredible that um, like Greg and Shane were very much of the same ilk as me. We all left at the same time. And they were just doing their new thing. They they were doing, they concentrated more on production. They were still doing their club nights, go deep in various venues, still DJing everywhere. And there was a certain amount of people who wanted, and this happens in the history of music or the history of anything, is a lot of people want what they had when they were younger. And it's not only because things were better when they were younger, but things are better when we're all younger because there's nothing like, uh, and this is it for me. This is probably where it starts in Sir Henry's. There's nothing like going into like a nightclub uh, when you're 16 or when you hear some new music when you're 14 or whatever. So I couldn't wait to go because we knew about Sir Henry's. It was the only really underground spot at the time as growing up in the early 90s, we'll say. And then to go there, I went in there. Now, at the time, you could go in when you're 16. You know what I mean? It's it's not like now where it's a bit more regulated. Uh, not that anyone can go to clubs at the moment. But um, so when I finally got in there, it was like a dream come true to even get through the door. Because that's another thing that people forget about. Um, w- when you, when people are younger, half the battle is actually like just getting in. Like you have your drinks or whatever you're doing down the fields or wherever the hell you are. But like even getting past the bouncer, you've already had a good night. Like if you've got in on your fake ID. I could really relate to that. Being in Berlin last year. Oh, man, Trying to yeah. get into Bergheim. So that was your... You probably got anxiety for the whole night. And if you get in, even if the DJ was playing Scatman, you'd be probably happy. You'd be just like, I'm <laughs> in. So there was a lot of that around for us. But getting in there was amazing. And then once I was in, uh, I ended up falling into DJing in there. So I'd always been into music. So it started for me, like anyone in the 80s as a, as a youngster, it was like Michael Jackson, Prince and stuff. Lots of the, the music that still actually stands up really, really well. But the first alternative music I got into, besides there was a kind of, so there was a lot of big mainstream acts who would have come from alternative um, grounds, we'll say. So there's obviously the Bob Marleys would have turned people onto reggae, but it was almost like Bob Marley is all people know when it comes to reggae or UB40 or whatever. So I didn't get deeper into reggae till later. But the Clash and people like that would have been a big, big for me because they would have brought me into deeper into reggae and soul and R&B and even funk and stuff. But I didn't even know it at the time. Uh, But I got really into the kind of punk thing. So I would have been, say, so I would have gone from like whatever's on the pop radio to suddenly been into like, Bands like actually Stiff Little Fingers were probably the main one, but The Clash, Dead Kennedys, all of these groups. So when I was 13 or 14, this is perfect. Like it's like, so first of all, the Stiff Little Fingers thing really got to me because they were from, they were Irish. 
And uh, so I was like, I was listening and trying to digest a lot of the politics myself because uh, it was kind of, some of this wasn't coming out of the history books in, in, a, in secondary school. So I was really fascinated by, by all of this, by the dead Kennedys. Uh, there was a big thing about censorship in the States. But at the time, while, while I got into the punk, I always felt that like, oh, I wish I, I remember there was a film festival on in Cork at the time. And there was a documentary about Stiff Little Fingers and the punk era. And I was like, oh man, like this is amazing. Like Because it was only, it had only been 15 years previously. But for me, it was just like a different world away. But I, I had felt I'd missed it. I was like, because now I knew, I knew the new music that I liked then. Because there was bands coming out at the time, like the Pixies and Sonic Youth and Nirvana, who ended up, Sonic Youth and Nirvana played in Henry's. But they were kind of, they'd been around all through the 80s, Sonic Youth had, Nirvana were just coming out. But I really felt that like all these bands like The Clash and stuff, they were all gone. So I was like, God, it's like the kids now who listen to or talk about Nirvana and they're like, oh, I wish I was around one or Tupac or whoever, or Biggie. So then when hip hop really came in, like hip hop to me was just like, it was one of those novelty things we all thought. Like there was a bit of breakdancing and a bit of this, but we didn't understand it. But in the late 80s, when I was a really young teenager, this kicked in and it was the right time because overnight, what Public Enemy and all of these groups were doing for me was exactly the same as the punk, but it was even in a more uh, straight up talking to my kind of, and they were actually, they were closer to my age and they were no. So so I was there when all of these guys were releasing their albums and I actually felt that it was really like, you know, you can take ownership of it. Like, so there's kids now, take ownership of whatever subgenre, different kind of styles of hip hop emerge every couple of years. And, and people are always like, oh, why are they listening to this? But it's it's theirs. Like, you know, when you're so for me, when I was 16, it was Public Enemy and NWA and all this, even though I, I found a lot of the stuff problematic, especially the, the with regard to women, because the one thing about punk that sometimes people forget is punk was very much a feminist kind of led movement in a way like the, there was lots of women involved. Uh, whether it was like the more commercial stuff like Blondie, uh, but there was also um, most punk, like again, it, it actually it mirrors what's happening in, in 2020. There was certain elements trying to hijack punk. So there was a Nazi element trying to hijack it and they got like, they got dis- disregarded straight away by all the dead Kennedys in the States or the clash yeah. over in the UK. They, they were like, listen, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't for you. Like, you know what I mean? So, so as what happens now, some right wing people try to hijack, uh, we'll say left wing movements, um, for their own gain or whatever. But like, they were kind of told where to go. Like one of my friends, we were talking about the Dropkick Murphys actually. And oh, they yeah, have yeah, like yeah. kind of, there's an element of people who follow them that are kind of like, Affiliated with the right wing, and one of them yeah. jumped up on stage and then got smacked by one of the, wow. the kick, uh, musicians and got punched off the stage, and um, because that's not what they're about. No, exactly. And the Dead Kennedys had a song called "Nazi Punks Fuck Off," and for me, because I didn't even know what a na- like we knew it, na- and this was at a stage when graffiti in the walls wasn't street art, so there was people openly right, would would put a swastika on a wall in Ireland in the eighties, yeah. and just stuff like even the stuff when it comes to, to 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 the IRA and everything, there was like lots of like the imagery and the, the the vibe, and also another big thing with this whole punk thing and with music is the fashion. So there was a lot of regimented stuff, which there still is. But I was also got deeply into bands like The Cure and stuff, and 
But I thought it was weird because you had all these factions in Cork, the Mods, the Cure, the Depeche Mode. And there was people almost like dressing as the Cure. And one of the, the Cure's big songs was jumping someone else's train. It was about not conforming. And I was like, if you listen to Robert Smith, he's like, listen, just be yourself, whatever. Don't jump someone else's train. And I'm looking at everyone going around uh, following him with his haircut, which, but it was kind of, it was kind of funny too. There's a really good clip on uh, RTE player of one of those kind of like archive clips from the Late Late Show in the, must have been the Late 80s or something. Oh, where does all the groups come in? One of each. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. man. I know Gay Burns sitting there asking him all questions, but like, um, it was class just to see. It's so, and it was almost like such a stereotype. And I'm sure you could probably... Like, there's more of a crossover now. Like, you can definitely see in hip-hop in the last few years, there was this kind of emo vibe. And, like, rappers are talking about, like, there's millions of openly gay rappers. Um, and there's, like, this was just unheard of, like, back in the day. But now it's, like, loads of rappers are talking about, like, unfortunately, loads of them are dying young again. But, like, there's loads of them really deep into their feelings. Now, it was always there, but, like, it was the sort of macho side of hip-hop has changed quite quite dramatically. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see all the, the, the fashions. And I've always been fascinated by that with youth culture because it is rebellion, really. So, for me, I could say a lot of it I got in into because of just typical rebellion for me it wasn't like dressing with a mohican it wasn't my my vibe or whatever but the music was definitely giving me that kind of that kind of thing and luckily I ended up as I said ended up going to Sir Henry's and then I ended up just DJing there for one night which is like a dream come true and then I ended up just before I knew it I was DJing there for nine years so it was great fun so of the time the big thing about it for me was like because people can kind of re, re rejig the narrative but Everyone says it was better in the 90s. First of all, I would just say everyone who was there will say that because they were younger, like I said earlier. So this is the exact same thing as someone who's 16 today or someone who's 15 today. Even in this this global pandemic, for, for some of them, it's going to be the best time of your life. Now, this happened in the 50s with rock or in the 30s with jazz or whatever. This happens traditionally through music culture. Everything is... And punk, which I mentioned earlier, was pushing out when rock was getting too indulgent, like with four quadruple albums and songs that were going on for 50 minutes and hair that was going everywhere. So punk pushed that away. It was almost like reacting against, even though lots of them were great bands like Zeppelin and the Stones and the Beatles or whatever. But when they had come along, they had pushed the previous, probably the original rock and roll guys uh, who are often from R&B and, and, and a black kind of music anyway. They'd kind of pushed them away and there was people sort of saying that like, Elvis invented rock and roll well when we all know that if you go deep into it there was a lot more it was just manufactured that way and the same happened say 30 or 40 years later when Eminem would have been a big uh, kind of like entry level hip hop artist for we'll say mostly people from like we'll say who mightn't have been black or whatever but but even for even for for people who are so that that's the way it always gets packaged so for me a lot of it was rebellion but in Henry's, it was just the big special thing was people were coming from everywhere in town. There was a big mixture. It was very much a kind of place where, because like homosexuality was legal in Ireland until like 1993 or something. So there was never any, like it was always like a place that was cool. Didn't really matter what you wore. Uh, it was always packed. Uh, music was pretty much uh, undergone and you couldn't see, there was no radio, no podcast, no running, no internet really in the early 90s. So you couldn't really hear the stuff elsewhere. So the social media, I always make the point that we had was mixtapes. So and you and that was very much a word of mouth thing. You can see it in the fanzine culture, in flyers, 
and little art developed out of that. But also a big thing for, for me and Sir Henry's was growing up in the 80s, all the people older than me or whatever, everyone was like, we got to go to Dublin, we got to go to London, we got to go to New York. And in the 90s, it suddenly changed that people were, first of all, people were coming from here, from Limerick and Galway and Waterford and Dublin even, uh, and elsewhere. And then, like, before the mass migration, Cork actually, there was people, maybe most of them were a bit older than me, but, like, people started setting up their own businesses and little shops like Primetime and bars. So it was like, it was the first time because everything else was like, it would have been like a, a big, a big kind of suit would have had to open up a venue. But now it's like people we knew ended up opening bars and cafes. And then you get this sense of like, geez, we're actually here. And I always wanted to kind of stay in Cork and try to make things happen here. So it was an exciting time in that regard. So Henry's was definitely a special part of my life. But at the same time, um, there was a, a whole bunch of people came a few years after Henry's closed and they didn't have the Henry's baggage. And I think they made things really exciting. So people like in Plugged Records and a whole scene developed and loads of different bands started that never ha were hung up on Henry's. So I think that there is a like music label started out of that. Loads of bands, DJs, artists. Um, uh, so like Henry's was great, but it wasn't the, the be all and end all of Cork. Did, did you have someone in particular, did something in particular happen that kind of pushed you towards the, the music scene in the first place? Yeah. So I got deeply into me, like I was, I was really into soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. But like, I remember when I was about 12, I started buying records just as like what, as you do. Uh, and I just, for, for whatever reason, I just was listening to them all the time alone at home the headphones on or whatever so like I was really into music but a, a guy when I, when I started in UCC this guy Colm O'Riordan he's a good DJ himself and he's got a label and he produces he was older than me and he said look why don't you bring up your records some some Friday we all just play play records in a bar we've decks set up and at the bar bars back then you could smoke in the bar and people were like down the back smoking weed and everything it was the old college bar so I just brought I was like I don't I'm not a DJ and he said no man just bring your records so so I kind of developed, started, I really got a buzz even just putting one on, not mixing and putting another one on. And I remember that was just like almost like, like I knew I was really into music, but for someone to ask me, and this guy was a respected guy, he'd been, I, he'd been in, ahead of me in school and he had a cool band called Garden Party and he had an electronic band then called Collapse. So for guys that I looked up to, to ask me to bring my records was a kind of a confidence booster. And then before you knew knew it, I, I, I ended up DJing in a bar before I could even mix or whatever. I couldn't even turn on the decks barely. But it, it, all of a sudden, within about a six-month period, uh, I ended up just DJing. And then I ended up leaving college and was like, oh, I'm just DJing away and I was going to start writing. And that's what my aim was to do, journalism, which I still do. But before I knew it, I was just doing DJing like I was actually actually even making a living from it. So there was no real light bulb moment. So I just kind of fell into it like a lot of us do with work. But it just led me in loads of different paths from radio to media to working with kids and all that kind of stuff and, and producing music, writing. So it just, like it does with anyone, you just kind of, but but there was no, it wasn't a case of I was like six years of age thinking to become a DJ. I was like, what the hell is a DJ? <laughs> do, do you remember your first record? Uh, probably something like U2. I think it's maybe something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it could have been worse, really. Yeah, I actually did quite well with my first tape. It was uh, 
Oasis. Oh wow! So they kind of hit the jackpot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back yeah. It. <laughs> it's a good start, man. No, yeah. it's a good, it's a good grounding. So I remember, yeah, it was probably you two, Michael Jackson, all that kind of stuff was popping at the it's time. It's mad when you think about it now because people aren't probably going to ever have a first record or yeah. first CD anymore. What was your first Spotify li- listen or whatever? Yeah, like it's it's interesting. No, the, the, phys- the physical side of it, I, I like I'm a big, uh, massive vinyl collection and that was, I was working in record shops for years and back in the day you'd get sent even from the big record companies would send you everything so i was just building up a massive collection and i was spending lots of my time in in, in the dusty record shops secondhand shops all over ireland and elsewhere on my knees digging out and it also that whole thing of like knowing a track and hearing a track and you might not find out what it was for years and finding it and getting it and so there's a lot of that which is incredible um at the same time, I'm very much a 2020 person and I love the way I can Shazam something. Like sometimes stuff is unshazamable, but I love the way you can, like literally I was talking to a friend last night, he sent me a track, I did a little re-edit of it, which I'll be play, putting on a mixtape tomorrow, I think I'm doing it, I'm playing on the radio on Friday. So this all moves quickly, like it could come fresh out of the studio, whereas this whole process would have taken ages before. So I, lo- I like the way technology can move things very quickly. Um, but that whole obviously you have lost a, de- a degree of the the physicality side of it. it seems same. Like it's kind of coming back a little bit as well. Absolutely, like, like, like Gemma and Levy, her new yeah, EP, yeah. It, I just posted it there. It. She yeah, has yeah. it on a tape. Yeah, and a green tape. It looks cool too. Up up the flats. She's actually down this weekend. She. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, and especially the tape thing. I was like, man, how is this coming back? This is the most impractical. <laughs> but I was like, it's still fucking cool, man. It's tapes. Like it's. And there, and you do have to listen to them, you know. It it's the thing really about work. putting it in and pushing yeah, play, yeah. and ah, then when it's, it's on, magic. it's not as easy yeah. to just turn it off. So yeah. you just have to sit there and like give yourself over to it. I remember thinking about this recently. Uh, so Sir Henry's was obviously only occupied at night, and I was living in an apartment right over here where the, that big indirect provision sign is now on Sullivan's Key, next to where Sample Studios was. And I used to borrow that tape, that machine off Greg and Shane. Uh, fish go deep because I didn't have one and I'd bring it into Sir Henry's where all the decks were set up at, and, and I'd record my mixes that day but either on the dash machine which were a bit more reliable or on my own tape machine if you're doing a mix you were doing it in real time and hoping that the tape didn't swallow especially if it was a good mix and you're like because it's often happened that the tape would actually go and there, you, there wasn't it wasn't just a case of just stopping like you'd have to do the whole thing again so so it was amazing um but at the same time, it gives it that element of danger or whatever. But but when I think of the process of, and I was going back to a double tape deck and recording one and giving it to someone and recording it again, and it was such a, and now you can just just put it online, man. It's incredible. But have the you, tape yeah. thing is coming back and people do like that physical side of it. Have you ever seen that movie, Good Vibrations? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About, About the guy in the North. Terry Hilly. Yeah, he's amazing, man. I remember going to the outdoor cinema that they had in the Mardek one night a few years ago. It must have been about five years ago. Oh, did they show it? Yeah, they showed it oh, there. cool. And I didn't know what it was, though. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was a film about a record store in... That is class. Belfast City. So I went home and I rang with Dan. I was like, here, did you ever hear about a record store called Good Vibrations? He was like, sure, Terry Hooley. I spent ha- half my days in, the, in that record store oh like flicking through. But the class thing about that, um, that film is that it kind of, it can, it was kind of a representation of the punk movement at the time yeah, yeah. that crossed it like it was a place where people in Belfast in the middle of the height 
of the shit that was going on. People mm. were meeting yeah. in, in record stores and meeting in clubs and stuff like that there. And kind of the music was a way to, I suppose, escape it, escape what was happening in many ways. But and at the, also at the same time, it was a statement in itself. It wasn't like neutral. Like yeah. to, to be involved in that, in that kind of movement was a statement in and of itself. Like for re- record shops is such an important thing and I'm glad we're lucky we still have some of them in Cork. But like they're such an important thing in the community. But like if you look at different communities, like Belfast, the perfect example, I mean, there's a certain scene that kind of emerged at that time. And that record shop, even if even not in a physical sense, our labels just become the heart of it. And like I remember that, like that community thing or the amount of people I'd meet, like through working in a record shop or even just going in and hanging out there. Uh, some of the biggest moments of my life happened uh, because of it and in, in here and I used to go to Manchester a lot by records Dublin Limerick Galway uh, even Belfast I mean it's 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 incredible that like because music especially back then was such a such a regional thing so you could have something that would be big, big in Belfast and it mightn't be big in Derry or whatever or yeah. same here uh, in Cork there could be a difference in Liverpool and Manchester it's only 30 miles down the road or whatever but record shops I mean or so, because that's where you go, that's where you used to go to find out what, like you see the flyers alone on the wall or the, the posters and find out what the gigs are, who the other people are, and other arts as well. So I think uh, it's great, like we've had, like it was Comet where I worked, but we've had Plug then uh, still here in, in some degree of a format and putting on gigs and putting on shows and, and selling records as well, even though obviously it's uh, it's quite an expensive pastime now and it's 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 even more underground but obviously there is a mainstream side of it and it became an aesthetic thing as well which I, I'm kind of interested as well because I did this vinyl love thing which I set up when we were running the path about 10 years ago about the whole aesthetic of records which obviously and is another thing we've lost because on 12 inches you can make an artistic statement which you can't really on an mp3 that's cover. like my dad is a big Bob Dylan fan and he yeah. would be able to say every single album when it came out what was on the cover, yeah. what was on the A-side, mm. what was on the B-side, what studio it was recorded it's in. amazing, man. Learning, that, that's how I learned about music. Like, I mean, it was pre-Wikipedia. Like, so, I mean, that's how I learned from the back of records. And that's how sometimes you took a punt in a second-hand shop. You saw this producer and you keep seeing this name and you're like, oh. And it's it's just fascinating. And the artwork as well. Uh, so it's a, it's brilliant and it's, a, it's part of the culture that I love. And I, I love that it's still alive, you know. How did you end up? Getting involved with the Cork Migrant Centre? Yeah, so all through the years, uh, I've been doing workshops even in the Henry's days, but I started doing them properly at around the time when Henry's finished. So Cork 2005 was this big thing where we were the European capital of culture and everyone from any degree of the arts community was like, oh, this is brilliant. Cork's going to get a load of money. and this We're going to be like a big art- artistic statement, which actually became an absolute disaster because whether it was the people running it or first of all certain artists got a, f- a few a lots of money to do there was a, some notorious thing where there was a load of money to do this big knitting rug of cork or some some bullshit and everyone was like why are you wasting money on this so all the artists who got commissions or whatever were delighted in a way or some of them weren't and everyone else is just like like for example i had already i was doing teenage big teenage party so my main night at the time was jam in the savoy and i started this thing called jam junior which was all about the kids so all the kids did everything i was the only one over 18 involved in the operation really um so they were all the kids were djs rapping graph 
uh, emceeing because Eight Mile came out at the same time, like, and everyone wanted to be a rapper overnight. From being a DJ, they wanted to become a rapper. So everyone was battle rapping, and we had a brilliant scene. And Jam Junior was huge. Uh, so the next step was workshops because we had rappers and we wanted to get more people doing beats all the time. And uh, I, I approached uh, Cork City of Culture and I said, look, I've got this Jam Junior thing. Let's do some workshops now. And I don't even want money. Just put put your Cork City of Culture stuff everywhere and brand it up and it'll be great. And they were like, yeah, yeah, cool. And in the end, they came back with the announcement and they, they sent me and Greg and Shane to Sweden DJing or something, which was it was brilliant, but it was like, it was totally not what, like I had requested and it was almost like no in fairness we went over there we had some connections because there's a Cork guy here who's a big producer over there and we did some stuff in the clubs and made some cool connections and I bought some cool records and played in some cool bars but like what did it really do for Cork whereas like not even looking for money you could have you could have um done something really cool on the grassroots with the kids here who are the important people I always felt because it's funny it, you're saying that actually because mm, this year is the Galways the that's right yeah. and I've heard people have basically had the exact same conversation and it happens with, with Lim- we were over at the Liverpool one they ran it quite well and I know Limerick had, it wasn't quite the European but it's the same politics and it's all it's always boards of people like some of it was from a high art background some people didn't get what we were doing but this is all very sim- like simple stuff for me so I had started doing the teenage discos for one other reason. In Henry's, they used to have them. So on junior certain night or whatever it was, uh, they'd have it from 7 to 10. And then the club would be open later. I'd be playing later too. But at 10, the bouncers would be coming in, screaming at people, all right, get out, get out. And all the kids would be like, okay, and they're gone. So they were trying to turn the venue, screaming at the venue. And I was always like, these are guys who are going to be supporting your venue, not that the bouncers cared, supporting your venue for, for years to come. Because I'd already seen it, because I was in there for eight or nine years. So I'd already seen people who were 12-year-old at a disco, at a teenage disco, becoming your, your, your hardcore and you're building a relationship. So you've got a loyalty with someone who's six years later has seen you playing like your Tupac track at a teenage disco or your Fuji's track. Then he's the guy or she's the person who's like going in every week and you, you've you've got them into the culture. You've helped to, to kind of give the spark. So I was like, why are you treating these kids like, sh- like shit? Because I've been in America and I remember going to record shops and some of them would have like, um, you know, like um, Space Invader games or consoles. So there'd be always kids around and kids were getting into the hip hop through that or just being around the scene. So I was always uh, like kids, kids, kids because I knew that there was people starting to rap in Cork at the time and I knew it was like they were 17 or 18 starting to rap but like I was in America and there was guys who were doing it when they were 8 so I was like this has to be we have to build stuff from the kids and same with producers if you've got a head start like uh, do you know that teenage year before girls and drink and all the other stuff comes along you can actually really hone your style and that's why like A-Track the DJ became like world champion when he was 15 probably because he had no other distractions you know what I mean all he was doing was just like going and practicing all the time so to cut a long story short we had done the teenage thing and we wanted to do the workshops so we started we just a load of people in Cork just started getting pissed off with the city of culture thing and they set up this where's my culture and one of the things that came out of that is I approached some DJs in UCC we got some space up there and later the Triskel and fairness to them uh, and we did this thing called, we did Where's My Future? And mine was called Stepping Into Tomorrow. There were workshops. And most of the, like, there was a lot of migration over those few years. But 
it still wasn't as multicultural, obviously, as it, it became. So were they like DJing workshops? So we were doing DJing, production, uh, MCing, GMC kind of came out of that. So he would have been one of my friends who would have been, well, he started off, he was a rapper, well-known actually here in Cork. Um, but he kind of, at the time, soon I ended up taking over the path with Joe Kelly and Pat Conway. And I ended up having, we had a kid and then another kid. So I start, I was doing the workshops but then other stuff came in along, like the, the venue and stuff. So we were sort of helping facilitate some stuff. But at this stage, GMC was doing like workshops in school and everything. So there was loads of stuff happening. Uh, but the Migrant Centre approached me about four years ago. And they were like, look, we've been here for since 2000 and whatever. We do loads of programmes with young mothers from a migration background or there's some mother and baby stuff happening, but we want to do a teenage program and would you help volunteer? And I was like, yeah, cool. So I started off with a group um, trying to teach him again about DJing and stuff, but it was like 14-year-old people from an African background. It, just, it wasn't part of the culture that, that most of them were from. Uh, and I got a couple of them singing and rapping, but it was a struggle. Then we did a bit of dance and that really connected with them. I was with this girl who was Kate Wang is her name. She was a UCC student. She's still around. Uh, she was amazing. And then I got Andre in for a while um, She and she was doing it with me. Uh, and But then last year we ended up elevating the thing. So the Glucksman up the gallery up in UCC have always done stuff with the direct provision and the migrant community. And we ended up doing a big artistic project with Shane O'Driscoll, the artist. Uh, so we ended up facilitating the kids to do their own artworks, which went on display around town and they did a little little mini movie. And we'd also done a workshop with GMC and GMC Beats, a, a summer camp where some of them started rapping and singing. Uh, so we had the dance with the rapping, singing. Some of them are doing art. And this year we just did My Generation and also a big uh, Black Lives Matter thing in Nanonagel Place where the Migrant Centre is based. So to cut a long story short... Uh, some of them aren't into the dancing and some of them aren't into rapping, some of them aren't into singing. So we've loads of really good visual artists and a couple of, a lot of activists now as well. And we've teamed up even with the climate change youth activists who are based from the creativity and change people. So some of these would be almost like the disciples of what Greta is doing worldwide. So there's all these 14 and 15 year old kids who are actively making changes with regard to the environment, climate change and stuff. And people actually have seen it happening worldwide. These people have forced stuff to happen, obviously uh, not as much as they would have liked. So when I saw that they did that big uh, mural over next to us here on Sullivan's Quay, uh, the indirect provision, I was like, oh, we'd love you guys to come in and help us with this project because I wanted to get more. Because, you know, it's, it's like I don't want it to become just like an African thing, even though we've got people from different loads of different backgrounds whether they're from Syria or whether they're from most of them are from a migrant background but I wanted to get people it's a bit like when that Black Lives Matter thing happened that like it's important for for people like me who's working in that community to to stand up and speak up or whatever and it's important for do you know this ally thing it's like like it's important not to just be like always looking at like even a direct provision thing uh, uh, looking at like a kind of a pity thing which happens w with this whole white savior irish mentality or european mentality to africa all the time it's important for us to listen but also to to be to just really like be active i think especially someone like me who comes from we'll say black music mainly and that whole culture it would be very uh it'd be unfair if i was just like taking rather than giving so not that i'm 
totally giving. I'm just saying, like, I'm just helping facilitate. But so we ended up um, driving things on, really, due to loads of brilliant people like Naomi at the Cork Migrant Centre and some of our volunteers, uh, but mainly just through the energy of the kids. So we've now got, we're working with about 40 or 50, uh, and we're just trying to build programmes and all this kind of stuff. Because uh, I think this summer brought her home that it was very important. Because uh, even the kids I'd known for three or four years, stuff came out, you know. There's a lot of stuff. People um, um, bundle up a lot of stuff that's happened. But, like, this Ireland that's so-called not racist or whatever, there's a lot of systematic stuff going on, subtle stuff. Not so subtle stuff as, as we both know on the streets. But also... Um, there's there's lots of system like educational stuff with regards to I mean uh, multiple things really and not just migrants other minorities too whether it's travellers and whether it's you know like there's a lot of uh, different kind of discrimination or whatever so we're just doing our bit like 2020 seems to be like it's obviously an insane year because of everything that happened with the lockdown as well Mm. but it also seems to be a year that has really like put racism like under the microscope absolutely I mean obviously the the trigger point was the George Floyd thing, but like this has been happening, and like obviously the, when the cameras are on, sometimes something like 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 a lot of the similarities. Like when I was in college, I studied like censorship, and I also studied civil rights, and I was drawing a lot of the lines between what happened in the north, um, between what happened in the states, and obviously there was a lot of inspiration, and and the way I look at it is. Uh, like I'm really proud of the youngsters mainly that we work with that like they're kind of like because it's not easy you know like lots of people for generations that I know lots of the older people from African background or wherever here didn't want to speak up and there's still reasons why certain people don't even in direct provision centers especially actually but like people are this much away from being deported and there's also different cultural language barriers that people are like they don't know the law they don't know the and you've also on the other side of it got like situations where in school like teachers aren't really like we're new to this whole immigration as a country uh it's only like effectively 20 20 odd years so they brought in this like typical Irish solution of throw them out in the country in some hotel and get some big guy making loads of money out of it rather than actually dealing with it. And of course we all know that they don't want they don't want this whole um they don't want fifty thousand people arriving here every year. So like our government are purposely like trying not to make it too comfortable for people to come. So there's all sorts of like I think they just when it happened in 2000 or whatever, when the direct provision thing started, uh, whenever it was, they they just wanted to, they, they thought it would probably just go away if you just stick them out in Mosny or wherever the hell they were going or now all the teenage like we're working with a bunch of teenagers in Mill Street direct provision and it's like over an hour from Cork, like, you know, it's a real isolation. So when a lockdown happened, as you say, lots of things sparked, but like, as I always say, uh, like direct provision is a permanent state of lockdown in a way and there's all these other mental lockdowns that people have and not being able to work properly or not being able to have the same opportunities that that other people have and, and being in the country is just not that there's anything wrong with being in the country per se but like 
uh, it's a massive, like it'd be a big cultural move for me to be living in the country. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine what it's like if you're coming from whatever, like so, so somewhere much further. Yeah. I was chatting to Kato Shea recently, who was involved mm. in the My Generation project yeah, as well. I think it's like a really important thing for anyone who is able to go and see those projects to go to the library on the Grand Parade. Oh, and absolutely! Look at the artwork on the on the front of it, and then there's also artwork up in Nanonegal, and and Carl's Key as well. We have the over by the. As, as the Colquet ends sort of beyond the Bodega if you go to that footbridge over by Mayo Cafe in front of Brywell Garda Station we've got all the hoarding there two sides is the same some of the same artwork and you can see it even better up close it's also worth mentioning about that mural that you were talking about on Sullivan's Key the Black Lives Matter one yeah. that has been vandalised so many times yeah. and keeps getting fixed by people who yeah. are just coming and fixing it because they know that that mural deserves to be there and has the right yeah. of place on that on that wall. And even the, by the nature of the artwork we've done now, or Dave done, because it's their voices, their pictures, their words, uh, the one on Carl's Key, and even in the one in the library, we always know the nature of it is going to be someone's got to come along and write a word or whatever, or rip a bit, which happened already uh, the first day it was up. But it's kind of this kind of, um, it's pasted stuff. So one of the activists or artists who helped the kids with a workshop is Joe Castlin, and he does this stuff where you, you end up pasting. It's almost like really good quality wallpaper, and it's going to last for six weeks or whatever. But even some of that is almost like it's a, it's, it's a running commentary if someone does vandalise it. And even that one, you know, like I know one of the artists who went and corrected that, and the kids themselves who did that art, I was there the day they were doing it. They're 15 years of age, you know what I mean? How are they a threat, like... But when someone did it, someone covered it, and someone—I remember—one I, of my friends came along, and so it's cool to see that. Like, and and that's for me. It's like uh, one of my favorite artists, Marvin Gaye, has this thing in "What's Going On" about only love can conquer hate, and that's what I'm even trying not to amplify the negativity sometimes, and just trying to overpower it with like, because we all are, we all know that when when a bad thing happens, like I I was with the kids when they were pasting up their own artwork and I was there receiving the comments. Most of the people didn't have the guts to say it to the, to the black people who were working with us, but they were saying like, why are all these black faces and all this kind of stuff. And this whole threat of like this, this whole massive running thing of like, we're being kind of, you're taking over. And I'm like, man, this is like visibility. Like how many black people are you seeing presenting TV shows or in the government or how many are teachers, how many are guards? You know what I mean? So this is like, these people are, they're Irish, most of them, uh, and they're part of Ireland if you're living here as far as I'm concerned. And it's like, we are giving a bit of visibility to their voices. Uh, who who cares what colour they are? And one of our big things, uh, and one of the artists, Yugana, who's only a teenager, she she um, came up with it. It was cool. It was from a collage, it was what is colour? Lots of them, it's not even... They're not throwing their discourse out there. They're asking questions and just trying to get a discussion going because I think we all need to, especially this summer, we've noticed that we all need to talk like about multiple things, you know what I mean? What is it that, that motivates you to use your skills and your platform to bring awareness to these things? Yeah, for me, it's just a simple thing. It's like, it, it just has to be, like, it's not a conscious thing. So you're just, like I'm working with kids who are bringing joy and smiles and a beautiful uh style and swag and talent and that's just what i want to amplify this whole uh i hate it when it's some coward hiding behind that like a fake nationalist irish flag which is actually totally disrespecting the real people who actually 
helped make all that happen in the first place. But I don't like this um, sort of like anonymous troll and this whole discourse of like what's happening in the world about like migrants coming, taking over your jobs and all this. And, and I'm frustrated when I see all this brilliant talent, all these brilliantly qualified people, all these people are studying their ass off in schools here who've got better Irish than me, uh, many of them. Uh, who have lots more talent and who are bringing stuff to, to what we need, like whether they're uh, working in high-tech jobs, whether they're, whether they're working in hospitals, whether they're working in, whether they're cooks, whether they're even, whatever, musicians, who cares? So what I'm frustrated by this whole, and we know where a lot of it's coming from, we understand it, like, but like um, this ignorance that, that is saying and obviously, I mean, the biggest irony of them all is Irish history. About, uh, but we're, we celebrate, we celebrate our, um, our our impact. We're so proud when some Irish guy is is whatever sets up a tech company in America, or gets number one in Spotify charts, or whatever the hell, or goes and plays soccer yeah. abroad, or whatever. Yeah. And then we're so we and we're celebrating our. Uh, also the blending melting pot of cultures is something that like whether it's music whether it's food whether it's fashion whether it's art whether it's football has been the thing that's interested me most and I look I'm walking through Cork man and it's like even that little place in the library now is a grey building and now our kids have helped colour it up a little bit and I see people sitting outside there now because by default Cork is now a place where you can sit outside and have a coffee not due to anyone's vision but due to the pandemic but it's it's absolutely brilliant that like We've got people of all different kind of languages, cultures. Um, and, like, how can you see these kids as a threat? Like, so for me, it's a simple thing of, like, I'm just trying to amplify the positive side of it, which is everything. I mean, I was up in Donegal last year for a gig. I was up there twice in one week. It was a bit of a nightmare driving. But I remember it's not a run, it's not a run, it's not a trek I make that much. I was always going to go or whatever. But it was only when I saw the vastness of this part of the world, like, and Cork is the same. Like, this isn't the place that's being overrun, you know what I mean? This is a green country. This is a place where there's boarded up houses and shops and buildings. And we, I'm not saying like, you know, like get like 100,000 people in here every day or whatever, but I am saying that we can have a basic compassion like what was shown to us in 1840, whatever, or in the 50s. And just like, come on, guys, let's just like, Let's relax a little bit here and try to put things and and it's not all as a financial thing, man. This direct provision is making loads of people money. The government are spending a load on it. Like use the resources, use these people who can't sometimes work, use their knowledge when it comes to medical stuff, when it comes to and these are the people on the front lines at the moment who are getting fucking the co uh, getting getting the virus because they're working in low paid jobs and meat factories and stuff and so like I think we just have to be uh, just like most people are. Like we're not born like hater, uh, like hating people. Like everyone's born good. So there's certain things along the way that a lot of it is ignorance, uh, education, and just base. But like as humans, you know what I mean. It's like if you see a dog in the street and he's hurt, you're gonna kind of go over to him. Or if you see if you see someone who's in pain, you're gonna ask him. So I think most people as humans are, are pretty good. So. So I end up just doing stuff because I have a, a certain platform, but there's no conscious decision. I think it's just a normal thing. You end up kind of just kind of getting more passionate about it as, as time goes on. 
I always was, but now I've got a kind of more of a platform through other means. So that helps. Like, and music uh, has been a great way of uh, helping break down barriers, to be honest. Uh, even, I mean, even back in the day in, in the 50s, when people were listening to Elvis, they thought it was some black dude, or when people were listening to all these guys before that, the R&B and rock and roll and jazz people, they, they didn't know that they were black. And, and then they, they it actually almost, like, it fooled them into kind of going, like... Because this, this is a big thing happening next year for Frederick Douglass, the the slave abol- abolitionist or whatever, and there's a big thing happening Douglas week in Cork. So lots of people in UCC are involved in it at the moment. I've been studying up on him recently. He came to Cork and around the time of the famine, and it was the first time where he felt that he wasn't like because he 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 was born a slave and escaped or whatever, and his uh, oratory and his uh, his writings became very influential, and lots of the stuff is very influential like so say over two well probably less than 200 years later so there's a there's a lot of stuff honoring him at the moment and and uh and it's interesting i, I, w- I was reading up on him and i was just kind of like looking at all these kind of like um i don't know just just patterns that like he he felt when he was in ireland that he wasn't really been looked at as a color thing mm. because i think at the time in ireland we kind of people had bigger fish to fry it was very much like just let's just survive here or whatever and it was the first time that he felt so it was a big influence for him uh where he was coming from a place that was like obviously escaped slavery or whatever like the other thing about that i remember when i was reading frederick Douglass's biography my bondage and my freedom mm. he said that when he came to ireland was the first time that he heard people singing that was comparable to the types of of songs that wow. people were singing on slave plantations that's and amazing. in relation to like the Shandos style of singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. It's another fascinating thing for me that like I was working with an artist without going into too many detail who escaped a really bad situation in a, in a country which wouldn't like her kind of lifestyle recently. She's one of the, uh, just someone we know will say. And the, they, t- they couldn't take certain stuff from her which she has which was almost like a digital art style or whatever and this to me was like if you look at the history of slavery and if you look at even later on when when like I will never be one of these people who's kind of gone, gone that the Irish were slaves or whatever but w- w- when we did have mass uh, emigration um, one of the things you can keep is your 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 folklore or your song or whatever uh, no, whether it was the actual slaves, uh, the one thing to keep you going as well, as we as we know, it can be music or, or whatever. But when you think of how, um, like, Frederick Douglass was teaching in a plantation and they came in, the, the slave owners or whoever, and they just burnt the books or whatever, and they took it. But, like, you can't take the song, and whether it's in prison or whatever, and that folklore... You can't take the, the the music, and that's if you look at the history of music, it's quite fascinating. And there would be a lot of similarities between African uh, people who would have went to to to, to, the, to the Americas on slave ships, and if you look at Irish people who went in a, in a different situation uh, of 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 like musical traditions, like it's it's fascinating when you go back and and explore the the crossover between it. Because, uh, because like lots of these origins are are from the same thing, and it's like it's it's like 
even if you take the drums, you know, you can still beat the drums. Like, and, and even when hip-hop started as a poor form of music, really, like, you didn't even have to, if you didn't have the drums, you'd beatbox and you could just do it with your mode or whatever. So it's quite interesting that um, the one thing you can't um, basically take away can be the, your voice or, or your music. So that, that that's that's actually quite interesting. As another kind of side note just came to my head, but I was listening to a video documentary on Radio Nagel Talk the other day and there was an interview with a fellow who was making borons oh, wow. back in the uh, 1960s or something like that. And the interviewer asked, asked him, like, where did the boron come from? And he, he was like, well, I don't know if this is true, but apparently that back in the day people would have had a thing that was kind of like the same shape as a boron, like a shallow kind of a drum except they had it flipped upside down like a bowl okay yeah seeds in it and to get the 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 shells off the seeds with her and then someone must have flipped it over and then started whacking it and then they and that was almost they probably had two instruments going straight away with the shaker as well yeah (laughs) here so i wanted to ask you as well about the music scene in cork because obviously 2020's been in uh, yeah. very like disruptive I suppose year yeah. for music in general yeah it's very like I had a venue myself with a couple of people and it was such a disaster trying to keep the wolves from the door and ended up we had seven years in the path it was brilliant but like I would not envy anyone working on that side of things and the same I run gigs we've no venues obviously we can't do anything at the moment now there was a certain bit of a buzz, a culture buzz at the start. Everyone went online straight away. And then that kind of evaporated as the weather got better and the summer went on and then the novelty kind of wore off. And that will come, kind of come in and you can do certain stuff online uh, and certain certain people are doing it well. And you can still do certain gigs like the Kino and places are, are trying at least. But like overall it is, and I, I kind of wouldn't be, like I think it's going to be another year anyway at least. Uh, no, I do think it is. You have to look at the the, the one or two slight. I, I think I have an article in the Echo tomorrow about this, but I do think it is going to shed a bit of excess when it comes to like certain stuff, like festivals with the same lineups all the time, and people are re- like lots of the music industry. It's almost like the film industry keeps repackaging the same films. Like lots of the music industry has been repackaging a lot of uh, stuff as well uh, over the years, but. That's from the excess side. From the grassroots side, unfortunately, it's it's where people are suffering again because it's hard enough to... Like, no one's really doing music for money anymore anyway, but the one or two live gigs might help a little bit. Uh, now, there is a good push from people like Bandcamp and, and artists are doing independent stuff, and there's one or two even getting subscriptions for online stuff, and people are, are making, like, trying to buy that Gemma tape or whatever and trying to make an effort, and for me, some of the artists that I'm friends with, like God Knows and Denise Chyla, all these people, there's people buying physical formats and trying their best and a bit of merchandise or whatever, it all helps. But it is, it is very, like, I wouldn't be able to, like, I was surviving as a DJ full-time for many years, but, like, I've got a bit of the radio and I do a bit of writing and I've, even some of the workshop stuff, most of it was voluntary, but some of the stuff is getting funded now a little bit. So I'll manage to survive, but I wouldn't be able to survive as a DJ. And I'm, I'm, I'm a well-known one. Uh, I can do a commercial party the odd time or whatever, you know what I mean? So, like, I'm one of the lucky ones, so where does that leave, we'll say, 90% of everyone yeah, it's else? Like a lot of people have had tours cancelled, big oh, gigs cancelled, and then 
And like, bands, yeah. uh, everything is so expensive. Like, I'm trying to even get people into the studio to practice. But so it's obviously artistically disheartening because if you're trying to practice for a gig that's even online, it's you're kind of like, wow. So the whole industry is a bit of a no. Obviously, I do think. Um, like there's people trying to fight back a little bit. I mean, we we all have to for our mental health. But like, I do think a country that man, man markets itself on the whole crack and kill and some of it's all this deadly idle. It's a bit too kind of like it's a bit of a twee representation of Ireland sometimes. But some of it's a, it's a legit thing. Like because we've got brilliant culture of traditional music and we've got a brilliant culture of like rock music, whatever. Now again, sometimes they always just hone in on the the one or two kind of things, but. We do if we do market our country on this as being a brilliant destination where people come and party and everyone. I do think that we probably need more like government support in the long run and try to have some sort of strategy. I personally don't think that the government really have a clue or really. I know that they've kind of bigger fish to fry, but like there will be a kind of token gesture here and there, and they'll say this and that. But like overall, like even it's been a bit of a shambles with like. Like, I wouldn't be into what the pubs say, Vintner especially, but there's brilliant independent pubs doing good stuff and they deserve some degree of support and there's brilliant other operators and there's a million other people like sound engineers and riggers and everyone else working in music and it's just kind of disappeared for them overnight. So uh, the industry is a bit of a mess now. At the same time, there's more people probably writing and they're still gonna, we're still going to all artistically do our music and make our music and write our raps or do a beat or whatever or, you know play in a band or do stuff so it, there could be some like it definitely will shave some excess off in my opinion but like it's very i know for a fact there's a couple of big venues not going to be reopening in cork and it's very sad because i've been down that path before and you put a lot into it and when it's out of your own hands you know it's it's extra frustrating we all know running any business is very very practically impossible at the best of times but like jesus this 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 has been the worst of times but obviously like music has survived world wars and other stuff so like the music will definitely always be there and eventually people will be able to party in a communal way but the moment has definitely changed it seems like one possible like small silver lining of the fact that all of the big events and the big festivals um have been cancelled and like the big festivals are probably going to be the last things that are com- going to come back on- online and stuff that that music has become more local and that like no, the bands dead right, man. are like are just putting it out there and be like we're we really need your help now and the, yeah. the people it's a community really yeah and if you look at a massive festival so i don't think it's going to happen next year but safety electric picnic comes back next year the, the big artists are going to be Irish. So it's there's no way the travel thing is going to ease anytime soon. So, like, you're going to have your big American artists. And this is one thing that frustrated me, having been involved, especially with rap. Lots of the artists we've had over the years in Cork. So I would have done gigs with Snoop and Jay-Z and Kanye West and stuff in Cork. But, like, these aren't exactly artists who are kind of rolling up. No, in fairness, Kanye West even came to the PAV after. But like most artists are on that sort of tour zone where they're, they're, they probably don't even know what city they're in. They're waking up in a beautiful hotel, getting bussed to the thing where all their miners do a couple of interviews, bang on stage and gone. So this community thing, which is always in fairness how we built it in Henry's, we've, we were very much resident driven, local DJs. We got one or two DJs over every year and we built relationships with people like Kerry Chandler and other people like that. It wasn't just get all the big name DJs from the DJ magazine or Mixmag who were hot. 
So this is why even this event here at Jim Jam, it's a community thing, it's word of mouth, it's people know a band and someone knows this and, and you're doing it for the right reasons. So I do think if the the big festivals come back next year, you're going to have, like, they're not going to, like, Beyonce's and Ali's and whoever the hell, if it's Tame and Pat, like the big bands, the Kendrick Lamar's or whoever's popping or whatever, it doesn't matter who it is, are probably going to be still reluctant to be travelling because of a million reasons. So you could have a situation where it could be your like the bigger like it could be going from the the three thousand ten to the big stage. It could be your kneecaps. It could be Denise Chyla. It could be uh, all of the other brilliant artists we have here. So that could actually and then you might bring the ticket price down. You might do a lot of other things and bring it a bit more. You know some of the some of the 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 fucking vaping places or what, whatever million commercial little tents that don't even play music in all these festivals might actually not have the money to go on. So you might bring it a bit less less corporate, a bit more back to the roots and bring the tickets down. No, that's the big festivals. All the other ones, it's going to be hard for them to survive. But by, by its nature, it might actually get a bit more because there has been a lot of excess. Like, you know, it is kind of, you're looking at the same lineup, but, lots of them are based on nostalgia because it's 30 and 40 year olds or whatever who want to listen to what they did when they were young but like like it's not exactly special when Chemical Brothers or Groove or Mad or whoever play a festival as much anymore as much as great as they probably are at what they do but like it's not as if oh wow Chemical like they've played here like 50 times so now it could be the time to go hey hang on like this these guys they, they, they do really they've got the tunes they've been doing their stuff they're Irish. It's not going to cost you all this extra travel and whatever. And I think uh, there's been a lot of indicators that these people are now ready to kind of step up. Like, because even when I was DJing, you were like a little backroom DJ to a hundred people. Eventually, going to big rooms and big festivals, or whatever. But that's happened with hip hop. Like, it's gone from ten people at a gig to like three or four or five thousand. So it can happen. Like you see that with Nick in the last couple of years. Like Absolutely, we were, like, they were here. Yeah, few years ago, the Jam Jam, and there was like 150 people, and then there were and half of them wouldn't even known who they were at the time. So that happened, and it's it's great when it happens organically. And they were about to do the Opera House, wasn't it? Yep. Uh, Post pan or whatever, this March or whenever it was, through the Good Room or whoever, or there was some connect. But this is, and they were definitely going to be, you know, as the summer progressed. So no, it is sad for these guys that it's caught, caught a bit of momentum but if people can hopefully just keep their heads down and other people will you know people are in it for passionate about music or whatever will stick with it but like obviously you might have to do another job like lots of us have to or whatever it's hard to like we could do a probably a podcast series about all the the big names that you've played with and stuff like that there throughout the years but yeah. see, even if I was just getting ready for this podcast and just chatting to a couple of people like um it, the people that I was speaking to and a couple of people who, who we both know really wanted to stress the point that throughout the course of your career that you've kind of helped to bring new people through onto the music scene. Has that yeah. been a conscious decision that you made? Yeah, for me, it's the, the best thing about being a DJ is like I kind of said earlier, you can have something, like you can play this new track that is like I'm literally, I do some of my own edits and some of my own production and I can play it myself and it's a buzz and then you're seeing it straight away. But like, these kids got on to me this morning. I didn't know about them. Uh, I got an email and an Instagram follow at the same time. And I was looking at the Instagram thing and I didn't know any, we would no mutual friends. 
And I was just about to not follow them back. And I looked at the email at the same time, recognized the name. They're hip hop guys. I don't even know if they're from Cork, but they're definitely Irish. And it was a lo-fi thing. And I listened to two tracks straight away, just messaged them back going, this is cool. I'll listen to it properly later. Followed them back and reposted it. And each of the guys then individually got on to me. Oh my God, thanks so much. Uh, and I hadn't even listened to it properly, but I know there's something about them and they're doing all the stuff themselves. I call it absentee music, but hey, if you want to. But I didn't listen to it properly yet, but within, and this is while I was in a coffee next door before, you know, because I, I came in here early. So this all pretty much happened in a half an hour that like you've already created a relationship or a bit of a buzz with these guys. And I know at the very least that they deserve more of my um, time than like 50 cent I've warmed up for, but I never met or I've never had like he he warmed up or he was playing in the marquee and he kind of just turned up and his DJ only had one deck. He wasn't even making it. He was just turning it in, man, and taking his whatever. So for me, a community thing, uh, first of all, a new thing, everyone, like lots of people when they hit 26, 27, get a bit like look back, look back, look back. But for me, it's always about the next thing. So I love lots of the new hip hop. Lots of people don't like it. I love the new whatever, new R&B, lots of new Afrobeats or whatever is the kind of my style of music that I like. But everything, um, and it's just the excitement of, for me as well, a big thing when I, when we were running the venue, I was exposed to all these bands that I wouldn't have seen unless I happened to be there. Like it could be Stink or it could be Altered Hours or it could be anyone. And it's just a different thing and it gives me that that you like music is you culture and I feel 14 when I hear a new new track or a new band so I would always try to to push it or and it's it's so hard to to hear your voice these days among like it's overwhelming and music is effectively free if you look at the fact that it's streamed so how do you actually um like it is a kind of full-time job trying to uh keep a keep an eye on it but it's not a job for me because obviously I'll miss tough stuff too but when you see stuff like some of the people who will be very close to me over the years uh, God knows I gave him his first gig in the Savoy or the Pav he was 15 and all his aunts and uncles came down from Limerick to see it and I didn't know who he was at the time but like he t- tells me about it and he's no big rapper he was in the Late Late Show with Denise Chyla she's another one and Merley and these are all friends and when you see this happening going into like like Ryan Tuberty talking about hip hop and he was talking about race to Denise and stuff uh, so that's that's a big thing for and these are our people so we can always create it because I've had this thing a million times and it's it's cool that Kneecap are doing it and Matt Man and Jafaris and whoever else uh, Sailor the V de, de Mai and people in Cork are kind of like because we can do it like the, all the, the infrastructure is here we've got a a certain thing here that other people don't have. And that's why I always try to tell the kids that we work with, if you've come from uh, South Africa or if you've come from Kenya or Syria, you got something, you're in Ireland, man. Some of them are living in a country in some weird place in some some disused castle in Mill Street. I'm like, okay, like I know Beyonce is not going to be talking about that. You know what I mean? So you've got an experience that no one else has. And it's like the, the kid we were talking about earlier, Abdul in Gaza or whatever. It could be a kind of a more, um, he doesn't have to go even too deep into, into like he says, only 11, just turned 12. But like, you've got something that like, this is going to strike a car. Like, this is as real as it gets. Like, cause, like people talk about keeping it real in hip hop, but like hip hop was always more exciting to me when it was a guy talking about, you know, experiences rather than, you no. Know, 
if Jay-Z's experience has gone from being like selling crack or whatever to like how many yachts he's got, it's not as exciting talking about how many yachts you've got, in my opinion. I don't think glamorizing the kind of like um, the the kind of drug dealing and hip hop or whatever is just, it's not really what I'm about or whatever. But you, when there's someone young and hungry, uh, there's a certain amount of um, um, there's a certain buzz uh, and energy that I can hear or see. Uh, that's often more exciting. So when it comes to new music or younger music, but even some of these young, like this could be an 80-year-old playing jazz as well. So it's not about age. It's just about the the freshness uh, that you can hear sometimes is is what is exciting. or that, that. So you could even have, like if there's an innovator, like it could be Miles Davis was messing around with hip-hop there before he died and he could barely even move but he was still trying to push it on, you know, and he was told a million times he was passe and he was gone. So that's that's the way I would. I read his autobiography when I was about 15 before I even got a lot of his music. But I was just like this guy because he was comparing himself to like this is the 80s and 90s. He was working with Prince and comparing himself to Michael. He was looking at Michael Jackson as a rival, whereas most people were looking at. Him. So he was always like the new, the fresh and that was really meant a lot to me. And I reread his autobiography about a year ago, and I was just, I, I was just, I, I wanted to just go to the street. Like I'd read it. It was three in the morning, and I'd fire up the MPC and start doing beats. So when you're that inspired, you're always going to be looking for the, the the fresh music or the new music. And it's not only from new artists or young artists. Did you hear that from album that Girls Got Her made with Jimmy XX? Oh, like that. And that was the last thing he recorded. So he would have been. He actually sat, was sampling Kanye West, and Kanye West had sampled him. And so there's this whole, like, rather than creating this... Because when I was growing up, there was a massive generation thing. Lots of the old guys first looked at hip-hop, and they were like, what the fuck, this isn't music. And then I ended up, like, like seeing and meeting a load of them in the jazz festival, interviewing people like Lonnie Liston-Smith. We saw Jimmy Smith. There was all these guys like Reuben Wilson. All these jazz veterans were coming to Cork. McCoy Tyner, who played with um, John Coltrane. And I remember bringing, you'd be bringing up their vinyl, uh, Clive Stubberfield, who's James Brown's drummer, um, who his drum, drum break is literally on everything from Public Enemy to Stone Roses to like one of the most, but it was like a five second thing he did. But he was coming, I remember meeting him in, in the Everyman in the lobby with a record and he's like, oh, the hell, you guys got the music, man, you got vinyl, I haven't seen this in you. So you're seeing all these guys and they ended up, then respecting the young culture because it brought some of them back. Even James Brown in the 80s, he was known as a caricature, a caricature of himself or whatever. Uh, Isaac Hayes became this kind of like joker on whatever the, the program was and he ended up whatever. But like these guys are, are titans of music and hip hop uh, culture ended up bringing them back in a little way. So there's a lot of that now. And in the last 10 years, it was really good for me. I, we, when we were in the path, we had Bad, Bad, Not Good who were young jazzy nerds from Canada who started off doing hip-hop covers and now we've a hypnotic brass ensemble and all these guys so there's all these jazz bands are starting off by doing hip-hop covers and the culture is actually so it's not just like hip-hop ripping off jazz and funk and soul and rock and being some sort of like not serious music no you've got the serious people are going in doing and you've got your guy in the acoustic guitar i'm sure even the, the the big bands like the hermitage greens will come out and do a no diggity or whatever so no hip-hop culture is so powerful that like people are coming in and, and taking that and, and redoing it so it's cool that it comes full circle and it makes it exciting like 
how did the connection come about with that dude in the first place oh yeah so that was cool this guy hit me up randomly on instagram and he said look i'm a school teacher there and um i've known you for years i've been watching you but i'm in mexico and there's a kid and i was like oh cool i'll check it out i think i was on radio at the time I'll check it out and I was half expecting some like corny thing or whatever but he said it was Gaza and I was like well I was definitely going to check it out anyway but I remember just listening back and I was like what the fuck like this guy is like his diction and everything is amazing and I just got on to him and he said look he's already been working with my friend GMC uh, and they've already done a track uh, a collaboration about peace and about whatever and I played him on the radio I think it was actually in the lock start of the lockdown and we were doing these little parties where I was doing these kids' parties at home in my kitchen where literally my daughter was doing the mic and I was DJing. And it was cool because all people her age were like 12-year-olds or 11-year-olds were watching. My little son was dancing and everything the odd time. But we played his track and he was like, oh my God, is it? Like it was the first time he got played. And then I played him in the radio. So we made a connection of Liam, who's the guy in Mexico, who was his online teacher. So he's literally some Cork guy in Mexico teaching online a kid in Gaza. Like teaching music or... They were teaching English, I think, and he had helped him with the lyrics, and then he connected him with GMC because he knew he was a producer in Cork. So he was helping him with beats and lyrics, and then I helped helped him. I wrote a track or two for him as well. Then when I got to know them after, so myself, GMC, and Liam are effectively helping manage him with this guy, with his dad, who's amazing, um, Sela over in Gaza, but we're trying to protect him because he kind of blew up as well uh, overnight um, musically and he got loads of like big, big hitters from the Arab world and people like DJ Khaled who would have that bit of that background and Bella Hadid and Mad. So all these big, like well-known people started... Cause it, and he was in like all these, um, you know, like uh, Reuters and uh, uh, Al Jazeera and all this did features on him, Variety. So it happened overnight where he kind of just became, over a week, it became massive. And now we just have to protect him a little bit from, because there's all these people trying to take an opportunity. And we just want him to develop in his own in his own way. But yeah, we just randomly met him through a mad, just the way it goes, like a Cork guy in Mexico. And we've and we've been like, we'll be talking to the family quite a lot, like one-on-ones and talking to Abdul. And, but what strikes me is, he's just turned 12 last week. He's just got this kind of diction. Now, he's doing it in, in English because that's the way he learned it and that's the way he wants to kind of... He's very much wants to kind of blow... Uh, um, um, big up the music uh, abroad. Uh, there's I Actually, I got started delving into it and I found some really good um, Gaza or Palestinian rap uh, from refugee camps in Arabic and I've started to learn a little bit more about the whole scene myself and it's it's quite interesting because there's, there's some really good stories. We did a podcast with Maisa Dov. Oh, she wow. sings with Dam. Oh, wow. That's class. While we were over there. I didn't even know who Dam were till recently um, and it was really interesting and there has been a couple of people like... Um, Wahib, there's, there's um, other people have been helping nurture his, and there was a big uh, DJ in Saudi Arabia, Big Hass, who's helping all the Arabic hip hop, and he was he kind of helped mentor him as well in recent months. So yeah, it's just a cool story. Uh, but we'd like to um, to get some music out properly. It's mostly little videos at the moment, but it's very much real. Like it, uh, it's it's him in his neighborhood and talking about his um, his uh, his situation, but not in a kind of like I, I, especially with young kids, but like even when we're writing, you know, I, I don't want to over, um, like also you don't want to just be, be, be throwing a kid, 
into kind of anything that he feels uncomfortable with. But you don't need to over dramatize what's happening in Gaza. Like a lot of videos that he shouldn't or shot in on the street in Gaza, you can tell. Exactly. And he was telling the stories when he first, when we were, some of them, the stories, he was like this, and it's, it's this place that was like, his dad used to drink coffee there and it just more or less got bombed overnight and he's, he's standing in front of it and telling just simple stories and uh, and it's good for me to to learn more about his world but it's it's fascinating and uh, hopefully um, hopefully he'll have a, a career in music and I know that the big aim is they want to get out or whatever for like it's 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 um, but look uh, he's try like he's very proud of where he's from or whatever but um it's just the situation is 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 pretty heavy, um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, it's a good story, and, and as we always say, it just needs to be told and heard. Like so, we've got a bit of a platform here, so we can help. Yeah, I think that's probably been a theme of this whole chat. Is that so? Like through the platform that you have, and like the skills that you have as a DJ, that you've been helping people along the whole way through your career in a way, probably like. I don't even know if you're going to be able to be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's the same for yourself. I mean, like, obviously, like, you don't do, you do things just, you just do them, you know, not, you don't wake up, like, think the way I always look is, uh, and I'm sure, like, look at all the good stuff you guys have been doing, like, which isn't easy, like, and it's a lot harder than, than stuff I've done. Like, I didn't go and build a, gy- a gym in Gazi, you know, I'm, I'm Zoom calling this, this kid or whatever. So, like, there's stuff that, like I've always done, but it just, it's a very easy, especially if you're a DJ, it's a natural thing to, but like it, it, it just comes, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like it, it's, it's not, um, you mightn't kind of change the world or whatever, but you just try to like hip hop to me was always about learning about the history, about the music, like we said earlier, and about passing the knowledge on. Like, like I see, I remember when DJ culture was so big in the 90s that everyone was protective and there's people hiding the names of records and all this kind of stuff, uh, putting tape over it. And, and I've <laughs> always been like the opposite. Like, now obviously it can get a bit bad when everyone, when everything becomes too commercialized or whatever. But at the same time, I've been like, this is a gospel that I want to spread. Uh, it's my religion, really. <laughs> so that's what I would. Uh, that's what I'd try to do, you know. And hopefully, we'll we'll still do it for a while yet. How can people like keep in touch with the stuff that you're doing? Uh, I suppose Instagram, everything's on it. I know it's a pain in the ass, but um, we do. We have um, our our kids project, which I'm really trying. I'm trying to really build that up even more. We've got our own Instagram, CMC Youth, and mine is Stevie Granger. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm on radio, I'm doing mixes, I'm doing stuff. Hopefully, we'll have gigs again next year as well, but we'll see. But yeah, like I'm easy to find, put it that way. And I really appreciate you giving me the the, the platform because it's a good good chat. Like you know, it's been class having you in. Thanks a million for doing it. Thank you. Shit it's man. a wrap. <laughs>